If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. All right, Alibaba. How is it going with you? Fun day, fun day down here in Connecticut where we were just at Meriden at the Elks. Saw a bunch of you guys. Thanks for saying hi. Uh, Fritz the cat. And who's his girlfriend? Or the woman who's with is that name? Is she Chrissy? I don't know. I didn't meet her, so I'm not sure. Fritz the cat was there. Fritz the cat was there. And um, a, a, a cool guy named Wesley. And a guy f- named uh, Mark from Meriden. I think it's Mark from Meriden. Or is it Mike from Meriden? I think it's Mark from Meriden. These are just the, T- the TIC folks. And just the, the seeing the guys. Mark the shark Christopher. Who does is a real radio guy who does um, uh, tra- uh, traffic. Had a lucky night tonight. Had a lucky night. He was cleaning up in the raffle, and he bequeathed to the Shattucks his um, fire pit that, that he, he won. won. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is fantastic. And s'mores kit, which is what the kids were really right, happy which about. Which means they'll eat all of that stuff immediately. You heard the noise, Alice, on my that my that my car made. <laughs> it's a great noise, honey. It's awesome. It, it, it sounds really like the good. Nazgul driving down here. <laughs> Um, a couple of like a month ago or whatever, back in the olden days, or m- at least a month ago, during one of these ice storms, my my uh, windshield wiper was broken off. So now, I it was raining down here today, and I had didn't even remembered about the windshield wiper, and so I was trying to use the windshield wipers, and one of them do- has no blade, so the piece of metal just scraped the glass, cut into it as if I was cutting glass, and. Um, made a horrific sound. As a matter of fact, I may have the sound because I tweeted the sound out. It's a horrific, terrible noise. Uh, and let's see if I can find that. I'm going to share it with you guys right now. <laughs> and my windshield wiper is broken. This is the noise it makes. Thanks for raining, by the way. This is, it makes the ride very pleasurable. And that thing had to be going for an hour. As it was, and it's much louder when person was. Remember seeing something? And so my dad used to be used to cut class. Did I tell you that? No, but he used to. He got in this phase where, in the late in the seventies, and probably for him in the sixties, in the uh, late seventies, early eighties, he would cut wine glasses and make other glasses out of them, 
It is a process, and he showed us. It's kind of cool, and you can do it. you got to sand them and knock them. Um, so so it reminded me of that. So it's not neither here nor there. All right. So what's going on in the world is actually there's a Connecticut story I want to bring up because it's just fantastic. I'll talk about this tomorrow, of course, as well. But by the way, if you saw you guys down there, it was great seeing you all. And um, it was a cool event. It was a cool event. Had a few uh, yinglings, Alice. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed. I had it. some white claws. It was great. As I did, uh, I did um, make a a commitment. Uh oh. Why mm-hmm. do I hear kids outside? I thought they all left the room. You told me they went down. They did, but I want to hear voices outside. Are they unable to get inside, or is that Sally's voice? I don't know. I think I heard the click of the door key. You know, let's see what happens. It's not followed by the push of the door, though, which <laughs> worries me. Um, <clears throat> there is <laughs> there is a great story that is just such a Connecticut story. It's just so perfect for state government, and I'm not I'm not surprised. This is an audit shows that approximately eighty percent of the one point one five million in pandemic relief funding provided to the city of West Haven was not used properly. So in other words, and like I said, you know, there's going to be a reckoning for this. You have to put in your balance sheet sheet by 2026. And explain what you used it for. Oh, yeah. And this is just one city, one audit. Mm-hmm. You realize, and I think it's going to be, especially in blue states, how much money was stolen. Oh, yeah. How could it not be? Oh, yeah. Totally ridiculous. And I think in when you've got these states... The blue, blue, blue states that are, um, you know, have been one-party controlled for so long, there's almost no, the hubris just gets ridiculously inflated on these people. Oh, yeah. They think they're totally unaccountable to anybody because they're so used to getting away with it. Like, yes. in Massachusetts, and I'm sure Connecticut's the same way, like, these people are just... They're not, you can't ever vote them out because the system is so weighted towards incumbents and so weighted towards the ruling party that they're never going anywhere. So they're just used to like, I can do whatever I want. Nobody's going to ever stop voting for me. Why would they? All right. Which brings us to Virginia. Alice, how much do you know about the Rappahannock, wait, Rappahannock, the Rappahannock Indians? Not a lot, no. Okay, that's a chuck. He's singing out in the hallway. No, that's Sally singing oh. in the shower. Okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, they're ha- Rappahannock Indians. This mm-hmm. is a news item. This just happened. The tribal land in Virginia was returned to the Rappahannock tribe during a celebrated celebration hosted by the Department of the Interior. Sacred land returned to the native tribe in Virginia, and it's everything you think it was, you, you know, of mm-hmm. course, that was theirs. They were all peaceful and everything was good. And then, and then of course, uh, um, it, over years and years in the 1600s, 1700s, we kept pushing them and kept pushing them. And, there's, and, and of course, you know, there's a lot of truth to that, and all, these things happen. So a couple of things people should know. Mm-hmm. The Jamestown... Um, Colonies, which was near here, which is near there. I mean, Virginia, yeah, I was going to say, was, wait, is my uh, sense of geography completely was off? part of the London Company? I think it was called the, the Jamestown people. Mm-hmm. This is like the Pocahontas people, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, 
So these colonists intended to arrive and to thrive. Mm-hmm. And they saw the Indians, the American Indians, and at first were tap- timid and tepid and thought, okay, we should reach out to these people and have treaties, etc., um, and see if we can trade, because this is a new country. These people, the natives, know how to eat here and know how to survive here, and we've got cool stuff that they want, including guns and whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the the English settlers believe that they are they have a destiny to flourish in this new land. Right. They believe that they are essentially superior. This is um that they the, the lives they live and how they live um their um their sophistication makes them more superior than the Indians, who are living more primitive. There's no doubt about that. Well, yeah, and now, they have about... Uh, uh, Europe now, now has 100 years of experience with the Native Americans, many of right. whom have now died off due to... Is that to, somebody knocking? There was a knock. I'll go check on it. Okay, that's okay. So this could turn out to be either... You better grab the dog. Grab the dog. Why did we knock? Oh, wait, you just got cups of water? You didn't get bottles of water? They didn't have. Oh, okay. Bless you. Okay. Rich, rich. Okay. So, so, but another thing that, that we should realize is that the natives who lived here mm-hmm. also felt that they had... A superior way of life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if there was any sheepish party happening. These native, the these people, the uh, Rappahannocks, were in it to win it too. Yeah, they, and they weren't stupid, and they were smart, mm-hmm. and they were intelligent. They just didn't have, you know, cool gadgets like we had. But they knew they wanted them because they were smart. Right. So. <clears throat> And of course, there's uh, certainly, I think, at this point as well, you generally thought, or the English generally thought, anybody who wasn't a Christian needed to be fixed. Of course. Or, or I mean, they at least saw it as an opportunity for right. people to experience the greatness that is Christianity. Exactly. So. And it should be noted that, um, you know, that that those Christian missionaries did do some things that even I think liberals would think are positive. For example, the reason that we now know what the Algonquian language <coughs> is, that the Algonquins spoke, for example, in the Massachusetts area, uh, is because it, an enterprising missionary translated the gospel into Algonquian language. Mm-hmm. So that allows us now to have this language preserved because the language on its own died out. It wasn't spoken by anybody anymore and it allowed us to preserve it because somebody wrote it out phonetically in English so we still know what it was and what it would have sounded like. Otherwise, that would be lost altogether. So, you know, pluses and minuses. So let me read you this. This is the the Wikipedia article on the Rappahannock people. Okay. The Rappahannock are a federally recognized tribe in Virginia and one of the 11 state-organized tribes. They are made up of descendants of several small Algonquin-speaking tribes who merged in the late 17th century. And they they had to merge for many reasons, including many of them were um, um, were um, 
abandoning tribe life for settler life because there was some cool stuff. Um, they're made up of descendants of small Algonquin-speaking tribes who emerged in the late 17th century. In J- January 2018, they were one of six Virginia tribes to gain federal recognition by the passage of the Thomas Jordan Indian Tribes Virginia Federation Act. Yada, yada, yada. And looking at this, there never was a time that the Indians weren't looking to reestablish themselves. And at first through wars, and then through the courts, mm-hmm. and then through um, using politics and politicians and making political alliances. And even the in the 30s, they kind of really like made a lot of Head progress. Mm-hmm. Made, made a lot of progress, which probably was, among other reasons, probably because the killing had subsided for decades at that point. Right. In the large, the wars. Has, 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 right. So anyway. In 1607, the Rappahannock were the dominant tribe of the Rappahannock River Valley, maintaining 13 villages along the north and south banks of the river named for them. Their capital was Tappahannock. They were a peripheral group among the Algonquin-speaking tribes of the Powhatan Confederacy. Mm-hmm. The Powhatan Confederacy was, like, like they said, a confederacy of all these tribes. Right. They were a peripheral group among the Algonquin-speaking tribes of Puritan. In the spring of that year, when news spread of explorers sailing on the James River, their Weirants, do you know what that is? Mm-mm. That's like a, a chief, a, a capo. Okay. Their mm-hmm. Weirants took a party and rushed there. They stayed with their cousins in the Quickohannock <coughs> and sent word requesting an audience with the newcomers. The Weirants and explorers met on May 4th. We guys don't have to necessarily make noise... Guys, okay. <laughs> Guys, you don't have to say. Can you not? Okay. George Percy wrote a vivid description of the We Were Ants, whose body was painted crimson, almost like um, a redman. His body was painted crimson, and face was painted mm. blue, sprinkled with silver. He wore a red deer hair crown tied around <laughs> his hair knot in a copper plate on the other side, with two feathers arranged like horns, and earrings made of bird claws fashioned with yellow metal. When the Weirants came to the shore, he was playing a flute. He escorted the explorers to his camp following a tobacco ceremony. The settlers were confused about the native names. For so, yeah, yeah, I didn't get the name wrong. After Captain John Smith was captured in December 1607, he was taken northward to the Rappahannock, uh, Rappahannock capital. Mm-hmm. He was told that they wished to see if he was from the same nation that had attacked them some years earlier, possibly the Spanish. However, they determined that he was not. Um, it, apparently, he was short and fat, and the attacker was <laughs> long, tall and lean. This is when Pocahontas supposedly saved him. In 1608, him. Smith returned to the Rappahannock and meditated, uh, mediated sorry, a feud between them and their neighbors, the Moragukundu. The Rappahannock oh, seldom... You just offended some people there, yes. or whatever that The Rappahannock seldom appeared in English colonial records. Colonists attacked them in 1623 in retaliation after tribes attacked settlers in and near Jamestown in the Great Massacre of 1622. Hmm. When the Second Anglo-Powhatan War of 1644-45 broke out, the colonists seemed to have viewed the Rappahannock as independent and outside the conflict and did not attack the people. In the 1650s, when colonists became, began settling along the river, the Rappahannock withdrew from the southern bank. Their weirants uh, deeded the land east of whatever to settlers just before he died in 1651. 
His successor, Tauriran, confirmed the deed in May. Their main town in 1652 was two miles up Cat Point Creek. By 1653, English settlers were moving into the region in such numbers that the colony assigned the tribe, the tribe reserved land. They also committed to build Tawarian, an English-style house, an English-style house. So, the, so they're wheeling and dealing now. They're encroaching. They're pushing the Indians back because the settlers are flying in, but they're making a deal with the Indians. Right. So we're going to build, build you. This a- is a mutually agreed exactly. upon arrangement. Exactly. Disputes between the two groups continued. In November 1654, a group of colonists visited the tribe to demand restitution for damages, but a brawl ensued in which Taurian was killed. Border disputes continued under his continued under his successor, uh, <coughs> Wakikopa. In 1662, the Virginia colony fixed the Rappahannock boundaries at Cat Point Creek. On the west in Totuski Creek in the east, the Rappahannock gave up trying to defend their homeland and moved away. By 1669, they were settled at the headwaters of the Mattapony River with 30 bowmen and likely about 100 mm-hmm. people in the tribe in total. In 1677, the Rappahannock joined the briefly resurrected Powhatan Confederacy, but broke away again in 1678. In 1684, the tribe numbered only 70 total, located on the bridge between the Mattapony and Rappahannock Rivers. The Virginia colony ordered them to merge with the Portobago Indians in the upper Rappahannock essence, whatever, supposedly for protection from the marauding Iroquois Seneca Nation. So, essentially, we're using them as buffer. The right. Seneca had invaded the area from their base in western present-day New York as part of the Beaver Wars, Indian on Indian crime. Rappahannock. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? Rappahannock. I think that it was, I, I'm just guessing, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily know, but by the name of the Beaver Wars, I would guess that this was maybe about the right to trade furs with Europeans. So maybe that even though this was well, Indian the, on Indian the, crime, maybe it was instigated okay. by the presence of Europeans okay. in the region. Rappahannock descendants continued to live there. The whatever lived across the river until 1705 when the colonial legislature outlawed Indian slavery. Colonists deported the Nazatico as slaves to the West Indies. So, um, so the Rappahannock tribe consisted of a few hundred to solidify the tribal government to seek state recognition. The Rappahannock incorporated in 1920 when their first chief was. So, the Rappahannock tribe was involved in the massacre, a great massacre of 1622. Mm-hmm. So that put them out of favor at the time. And I just want to read a little bit about that, about that massacre, the Indian Massacre of 1622. Okay. The Indian Massacre of 1622, popularly known as the Jamestown Massacre, mm-hmm. took place in the English colony of Virginia, what is now the U.S., uh, uh, though he had not been... Um, there was an eyewitness that noted that warriors of the Powhatan Confederacy came unarmed into our houses with deer, turkey, fish, and fruits, and other provisions to sell us. The Powhatan then grabbed any tools or weapons available and killed all the English settlers they found, including men, women, children of all ages. Chief Opekev something led the Powhatan Confederacy in a coordinated series of surprise attacks. They killed a total of 347 people, a quarter of the population of the Virginia colony. 
Um, Jamestown, founded in 1607, was the site of the first successful English settlement in North America and was the capital of the colony of Virginia. Its tobacco in, uh, economy, which quickly degraded the land and required new land, led to constant expansion and seizure of Powhatan lands. You see how this is happening here. Mm-hmm. So um, so the English <clears throat> encroach more, mm-hmm. and the Powhatan say, one day say, okay, we're going to just kill them all. We're going to massacre them all. And yeah. once you're massacred... Similar to... In, in King New England, War. King Philip's exactly. War, they were like, these people keep spreading everywhere. Let's just get rid of them. Right. Upon the settlement's founding of Jamestown, the local indigenous tribes were willing to trade provisions to the Jamestown colonists for metal tools, though by 1609, Colonial John Smith had begun sending raiding parties to demand provisions from local indigenous settlements. These raiding parties burned down settlements which refused their demands and frequently stole provisions, leading to resentment towards the colonists and pre precipitating conflict. The raiding parties further alienated the colonists from the indigenous tribes, who eventually laid siege to Jamestown Fort for several months. The London Company's primary concern was the survival of the colony. Due to the interests of the company, the colonists would be required to maintain civil relations with the Powhatan. The Powhatan and the English realized they could benefit from each other through trade once peace was restored. In exchange for food, the chief asked the colonists to provide him with metal hatchets and copper. Um... Unlike John Smith, other early leaders of Virginia, such as Thomas Dale and Thomas Gates, based their actions on different thinking. They were military men and considered the Powhatan Confederacy as a military problem. The Powhatan peoples concluded that the English were not settling in Jamestown for the purpose of trade, but to rather possess the land, as Chief Powhatan said. Your coming is not for trade, but to invade my people and possess my country, he said. Having seen the death of all my people thrice, I know the difference of peace and war better than any country. Um, yada, yada, yada. So in 1610, the London Company instructed Gates, the newly appointed colonial governor, to Christianize the natives and absorb them into um, and absorb them into um, the colony. As for Chief Powhatan, Gates was told, if you find... It not best to make him your prisoner, yet you must make him your trib- tributary in all the other his, of his warrances, uh, warrances about him first to acknowledge no other king um, than uh, King James. When Gates arrived at Jamestown, he decided to evacuate the settlement because he thought the government's plan was not feasible. As the colonists were sailing down the river towards an open sea, they were met by incoming fleet of Thomas West, the taking command as governor, De La War ordered the fort reoccupied. He plotted the conquest of the surrounding tribes. Um, is this going somewhere? Yes, it is. Okay, <laughs> just checking. During the one-day surprise attack in which he went into uh, Jamestown, etc., the Powhatan tribes attacked many of the smaller communities, including Henricus and its fledgling college for children and natives and settlers alike. In the neighborhood of Martin's Hundred, 73 people were killed. More than half the population died in western hometown, where only two houses and part of church were left standing. In all, the Powhatan killed about 400 colonists, a third of the white population, and took 20 women captive. The captives lived and worked as Powhatan Indians until they died or were ransomed. The settlers abandoned the Falling Creek Ironworks, Henricus, and uh, and, uh, another place. So, in other words, it's just another expansive. It's just another expansive and interesting, interesting story of 
clashing civilizations. Yeah. And one was more powerful. There were more English settlers coming in mm-hmm. than there were Indians who were happy to wipe them out and try to destroy them. Right. And tried to on several occasions. The, the only thing moral stain I see on this particular thing... Oh, and by the way, after all of these massacres, of course... The they were the Indians were treated bad like second class citizens or mm-hmm. worse, and and people hated them. Well, and which makes sense because you're warring each other, you're killing each other, right? And people hate each other. It happens in Ireland. Happens in it happened back then, and so the English said, "F these people, f our, f our, um, our treaties in our our agreements that we've signed. Screw these people. We're not. We're throwing them out," which is. Totally human nature, and mixed with a time when the realities of life were murder, pillaging, uh, uh, land disputes, and slavery. So it's just a different way of saying, I just got caught. I, I, in other words, Virginia's giving back the 480 acres to the Powhatans. And the, the news copy that you read will just say that, you know, it was once We there. stole it from them. Right. <laughs> The day-to-day reality of what was happening at the time it requires a much more respectful recitation of the truth, and I, I just, I just can't, I, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Well, in general, the CRT vision of um, history, which is that the winners are the bad guys. You know, the people who wrote the history books are the bad guys. Everybody who won is an oppressor and everybody who lost is an innocent and morally good victim, right? That view of history is incredibly flat and stupid. And it, and it's it's colorless and it's boring, frankly. It's much less interesting than actual history, which tends to be much more colorful and much more nuanced and mm-hmm. much more complicated than people want to give it credit for. You know... You can just decry Thomas Jefferson as an evil slaveholder who was a terrible person because he participated in this horrible institution, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can read things that Jefferson wrote about slavery and you can read the Declaration of Independence and you can look at everything that he believed and represented and thought about and the 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 complex the complex feelings that he had about slavery and about the institution and about his role in it. And you can actually, you know, hear in his voice what he thought about it and try to understand who he was as a person in the time that he lived in and the imperatives of the world that he lived in. Right. Just like you can look at this history of the native Americans and, and you can, um, and you can, you, you can, um, you can just say like, you know, White colonists bad, Native Americans good, innocent people, they use the whole buffalo, whatever the thing is that you want to say about them as people that they were like all good and they didn't pillage the land. And that's a simplistic view. And it's not only a view that's insulting to the colonists as just calling them bad guys when they were dealing with the the circumstances of their time and the difficulties of trying to found a colony in a hostile and a difficult place to live right without all the amenities that we have today you can try and understand that but you can also try and understand the fact that that that's also a view that's insulting 
to Native Americans, mm-hmm. that you're flattening them and their culture and oversimplifying them into these like innocent babes in the woods who were just like poor innocent them. They were at one with the trees. I and totally I mean, like, agree. You can you're, you're watch making, like Pocahontas, making, which I love as a Disney movie. Yeah, you know, that like, is a great point, Alice. There is this wish by by the left to almost make the Indians into fauna. Yeah, they're in it's infantilizing, frankly. Yes. They're they're these like these innocents in the Garden of Eden that was America and they were so good and pure and like just eating things off the trees. Like How could they know? It's so it really is. <laughs> it's, it's so really, insulting. I mean, I would to borrow a term, say it's almost racist in a way. Of course oh, they it don't is. know any better. They don't know. No, they, they were, didn't understand the treaties no, they signed. No, we no, no tricked, squeal noises. We tricked them with our treaties. They didn't understand Dan, when we said we were, they were selling us the land, they didn't get it. They didn't have that concept. And it's so insulting to them as people who are really the, the inheritors of, of you know, fallen civilizations. Mm-hmm. Like, we tend to think because most of our experience with Native Americans comes from the time when, when their civilizations were already way past their prime, right? Like... We know more about sort of the, the Central and South American civilizations, like the Inca and the, the Aztecs and stuff, who we're not supposed to call Aztecs anymore. They're like the Mexica now. But um, but anyway, like we know more about those as civilizations, but there were civilizations up here too. I mean, they, they, there were cities of tens of thousands of people up here in the years before the Columbian Exchange, but... You know, 90% of the population died off from diseases and wars and other stuff in roughly like the 100 years between first contact in the Caribbean and, and you know, these times that we're talking about now, these 1600s. You have somebody like Squanto up in uh, Massachusetts who was like this one lone remaining guy. Like there, the... These native civilizations were already dying off. Due, I mean, also due to contact with Europeans in a lot of cases, a lot of the disease and stuff. But that's like nobody's fault, right? It's also a little. It's a also. But there, but right. there was, but remember, there were whole. This is remember the plague also killed Europeans, right? You know, but so, yeah, I'm just sorry. a few centuries earlier, right? Like well, a little bit sooner. And also, but this is there's there's also not. I mean, we have, and I want to interject because I, I think that. We have it was in Europe, and then it was here. It could have also come from Asian people um, as well, because they also have been dealing with uh, disease. Right. So So we have we. So we don't know. I mean, people want to make sure it. One thing which certainly wasn't was blankets with measles on them. (laughs) Well, right. That's true. But the. It's insulting and infantilizing the way that liberals talk about what happened to Native people in the Americas. And it does a disservice, I think, to the civilizations that were here in the years before before anyone, Columbus or anybody else, ever made contact at all over here, right? That there were these civilizations here. There were cities here in like the Mississippi River Valley. There were these big cities that, that don't even exist anymore today, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I mean, there was all this stuff going on over here. And the, 
native civilizations are are the inheritors of that culture and the remnants of that right and then even like the culture that developed afterwards all the plains indian culture and the apache and all this stuff like developed really post contact you know you think about like plains indians and you're thinking of like indians on horseback right mm -hmm. So that's all. They didn't have horses in the Americas until Europeans arrived here. All the indigenous horses of this area had died off previously. So all that culture, that's probably our pizza, guys. Go get the pizza at the hotel door. Um, all that, it's already tipped it and everything. Okay. Yep. It's all paid. The tip is paid, everything. Um, so all that culture arose after Colombian. Colombian contact and all that also is really its own culture that that deserves its time you know like all these all these plains indian cultures that we were warring with these weren't innocents that were you know just peacefully living out their lives and it does it does the, included? yes i included the tip yep it does a disservice to to those civilizations and those cultures to pretend as though they were just, you know, total, total babies just living out here and like big mean white Europeans mm -hmm. came and killed them all off for no reason. Like it's, it's, it's an insult, frankly. And I don't know. It's interesting, um, too. It reminds me a little bit. We got an email this week from one of your TIC listeners, actually. Uh, we are in your neighborhood right now, right here in Avon, Connecticut right now. Uh, Bob H. writes, hi, Tom. Wonderful show. I try never to miss you. Uh, just read where if we were going all in for electric vehicles, we are going to need a lot of lithium. And most of that in the United States is out west among the lands of the Indian burial grounds. The liberals will dig up those bones faster than you can say Washington. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word, but it's a... A former no. name of a football team in uh, Washington, D.C. Try not to make a mess. Like, use that fridge as a table. Which I think is a good point, Bob, which is that uh, all the cultural concerns and everything else is are going are going to fall prey to the next great industrial revolution that liberals want to force on us, which is the Green Revolution. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was this... Did we talk about it last week, this tribe in Connecticut who said we're all good with the Red Men? Yes. We did. Okay. Yes, we did. So I'm all for it. You know, the more I read about about um even though they murdered my people <laughs> the, the more I read about these um Indians, the more I, I think it's just uh I think it's cool. I think they're cool. And I think that freaking left is erasing them. It's like no erase these people because you're afraid we're culturally appropriating them. No no, These that's people not what were, happened. The, the, the sight of that guy, the chief the who, who I read about, who had the blue in the face and, and red war paint and all, they obviously, in playing a flute and smoking the peace pipe, this guy was, uh, can you not make can you dying raccoon noises for five <laughs> seconds? Goodness. This guy, this guy was made a huge impression this was not something they were mocking this is something that the guy looked magnificent these were serious people who could have killed them off too don't yes. underestimate that yes they weren't at war with the native americans because they were like some weaker paltry people this was an existential threat for the colonists that were trying to live there at the time right yes 
So they absolutely respected them and viewed that. I mean, just even the fact that places in New England now have so guys, guys, sports take teams. your piece of pizza and then close the box again so everything stays hot. Okay, so don't keep boxes open. There we go. Just pizza the fact etiquette. that you got it. Just the fact that New England sports teams at high schools now are named after Indian tribes and have names like Sachems or Warriors or trying to wait. What you're making a face? What's going on? What's happening? Thomas? I can't. Are you having a black flashback? Yes, I am, as a matter of fact. (laughs) I can't show you. Do I have my phone? Do you guys have my phone? I don't think they have your phone. They have my phone. I don't know. What's up? What's going on? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I'll just show you. I'll just say that. That that it's... um, I don't know if Sally's schedule will allow it, but there's more. Uh, there's uh, sporting. It's the time for sports again. Mm hmm. So, isn't that great? Isn't that great? I am excellent. So, uh, go ahead, as you were. So, you know, as obviously last last year we did sports, and, and of course we. We had a mask situation, and so uh, last year is now this year, and so. There could be a sequel, and so I am. Um, um, you know what's funny? I was not asked to. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Looks like they're all st- staffed up this time. It's, uh, hmm. That's good. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That's good. That is good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I want to connect. Oh, are you, are you still going? I'm done. I'm good. I'm set. You say you're dead? <laughs> I so, said I'm done. So, I'm good. I'm set. So since I am now the Indian expert on this, it, no boxes are open, right? No. I mean, like an overly police, policing fat guy making sure Did it's Did we kid. get the wings too? Yeah, there's a whole box. Okay, there's okay. not for 300 people. That fridge is not big enough for anything. Pepper is going to have a good night. Well, at least I'm not like you where you order like one pizza for the whole family and then yell at everybody for taking a slice. Cut the slices in half. Austerity measures, Alice. <laughs> it's called austerity measures. I just don't like to be afraid to take a piece of pizza because my husband This is the life you married into, Alice. This is what you... This is you the buy one for pizza you. for six people and then yell at everybody for <laughs> taking pieces of pizza. It's, it's not yelling. It is. It is using an authoritative voice. I to like reach out to take manage. a piece of pizza, and you're like, uh huh. <laughs> you know, Alice. This is. I am being maligned here. Like, like I just bought enough pizza I for everybody. Okay. You know, I realize that it's cheaper to only buy one know, on pizza. This, on this day, Alice, when the Rappahannocks have gotten 400 or so acres back. Of their ancestral homeland. Right, you would figure you would have enough respect for me, you know, whose people have been thinned out. The Shattuck curve <laughs> is thinned out by some uh, Native Americans. Uh, so I have a question. Okay. So, oh, I have a happy story. Listen to this. Okay, one of the ready. descendants of the Rappahannocks. Mm-hmm. Was a woman named Mildred Dolores. Okay. Mildred Dolores Jeter. And she married a guy named Richard. You're not looking this up, are you? No. She married a guy named Richard Perry Loving. Okay. 
Loving v. Virginia? Exactly. Mildred Dolores Loving and her husband Richard Perry Loving were an American married couple who were the plaintiffs in the landmark U.S. Supreme Court case Loving v. Virginia. Their marriage has been the subject of three movies, including 2016 drama Loving. The Lovings were criminally charged with interracial marriage under a Virginia statute banning such marriages and were forced to leave the state to avoid being jailed. They moved to Washington, D.C., but wanted to return to their home state. With the help of the ACLU, they filed suit to overturn the law. In 1967, the Supreme Court ruled in their favor, striking down the Virginia statute in all the state anti-miscegenation laws. As miscegenation, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, isn't uh, that interesting? Yeah, that's super they, interesting. Have you seen this? The, the pictures of them in a couple, as a couple? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really, like... For 1967, they're like really um, smoochy, touchy feely. Yeah. Like I mean, they're like this is a this is kind of badass. I love that. I think that's I great. love that. I like them. Um, it's a it's an interesting court case. I do think it's interesting. You know, I think the CRT left is about five years away from trying to ban interracial marriage themselves. Honestly, oh you know, with kidding. like Monica Cannon Grant yelling oh, yeah. at Rayla Campbell for having this. a white husband. Listen and, to this. You know, it's you know it's just under the surface of the Clarence Thomas thing. They haven't said it out loud, but oh, it's like totally. bubbling under the surface. Richard Loving was the son of Lola Allen Loving and Twilly Loving. He was also born and raised in Central Point, where he became a construction worker after school. He was European-American, classified as white. His maternal grandfather, T.P. Farmer, fought for the Confederacy in the Civil War. Hmm. Can you imagine? Richard's father worked for one of the wealthiest black men in the huh. county for 25 years. I mean, these are the stories. The 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 like. These stories aren't unique. I mean, I guess they are, but but also, it's so dangerous to have a one general narrative that you go by because it just works so easy. You know, the world is an interesting and complicated place. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's the basis of society is like being able to, to question your narrative ideas about life and about the universe right because and especially about other people because you have a narrative in your head of how you expect things to work and when it meets reality it's often not the case and and especially and this is something like where crt borrows from marxism which is obviously a you know a child ideology of the parent ideology of marxism where you have this like class struggle idea and you have this oppressor versus oppressed idea right Mm -hmm. like this is all this marxist philosophical framework and that that idea of history where individual people are part of classes or groups in in who are who are battling each other and this like grand sweep of history narrative is just not it just falls apart when it meets actual individual people who are shaping their lives and, and living out and doing what they do. That's just the reality, right? So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, like I say, it's a flat view of history and it's a sad view of history and it's also just not a true view of history. And and I think everybody should read more history and more primary source material and try and try and really understand what people were like in these time periods instead of trying to stuff it into a framework of like the way we live today. I mean, like, yeah, I I think, you know, 
I said we're only a couple of years away from liberals trying to ban interracial marriage, but they're also going to go back to history and question, you know, how many non-binary people were there writing the Constitution and whatever. Our so cultural that elites, like even they hate you. Sorry. They really, really hate you. Ben. Sorry, Ben. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Nice to talk to you too. Uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, I got to that because, because uh, we don't, you don't have time to watch it. But the John Stewart thing, where they essentially had this white panel to talk about how bad the whites have been and how uh-huh. bad, um, how terrible we are in store. Talked about redlining this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And it just uh, that there is in nothing in the panelists were psychotic. In nothing was there was no agency whatsoever for anything. Right. They did. They would not accept that the that you could blame any problem at all on uh, the um, the um, broken marriages mm-hmm. or the lack of uh, complete households with fathers in them, etc. Everything was systems and wokey wokey. And Stuart was he is a terrible human being. He's a pos. He he's terrible. And he is, if anything, he is by arriving two years late to the white suck party. First of all. <laughs> But he is a guy who never spent a freaking moment talking about the generation of uh, young black men being murdered every weekend. Of course Everything, not. Bush is stupid. Rum, Rumsfeld is a warmonger. Yada, yada, John Stewart, I'm a comedian. I'm not a comedian. I'm a political insider. I'm not a political insider. Tucker Carlson, Paul Begali, you're terrible. He's a POS. This guy's a POS. And by the way, it is his. Where these massacres are happening are in cities where John Stewart's smart-ass approach to comedy slash not comedy um, only bolsters uh, progressivism in these cities. So he's his John Stewart, a big yeah. You reimagine policing, John. There you go. You've been pushing this kind of stuff for years. You reimagine p- p- policing. So I mean, uh, it's just he's just a, a PR. So anyway, it just got me thinking about that. But you haven't seen it, but you should. Well, you should see it. Then we'll talk about it this week. Okay, that sounds good. All right. Should we head over to Patreon? Yes. Next? So uh, if you're a Patreon listener, head over to patreon.com slash burn barrel. Or if you'd like to be, you can sign up there. We're going to do a little extra segment of the show for you over there. Like we do every Sunday. You can check that out. Sign up to do that. Uh, you can find us as always for free. All our regular five episodes a week at burnbarrelpodcast.com. There should be links to all the different places where you can listen. We are not on YouTube currently. I hate to inform you. We have been suspended for a week again because our... I thought that was just one video that they took down. Yeah, but every time they take down a video, you get suspended for a week. So we are suspended from YouTube, but you can find us on Rumble. Rumble Rumble.com slash C slash Burn Barrel. You can find us there uh, if you like the video versions. Um, But yeah, anywhere you like to listen to podcasts, we should be on there. And we will talk to you soon. We're running out of say la vie, Alice. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.